Where do we go from here? 20 seconds to defend Joe Biden, the indefensible. We go right back to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue because we do have good academic news. But the media <laughs> doesn't want to cover it. He is correct about that. He shouldn't just say you're looking at the wrong thing. They need to communicate this better. But we got revised third quarter GDP growth up to 4.9 percent. Unheard of. Consumer confidence went up 14 percent. Largest jump in a decade. Inflation is running at an annualized rate below Powell's target, which is why he's talking about a rate cut. Personal incomes up. Grocery and energy prices down okay. last month. In the Quinnipiac okay. poll, this part of it is really important. They did a forward-looking question. What do you think 2024 is going to be like? 48% say the economy is going to be better, and 62% think that they are going to be better off in the next year. When is the election? November 2024. Democrats, make your case. There is a case to be made. Yep, that's Jessica Tarlov on Fox News bringing the heat on what's really going on in the economy right now. And the fact is, it's getting better. And as much as Fox News wants to deny that, they're spinning their wheels desperately trying to do so. Americans are experiencing themselves. Hi, I'm Fred Wellman, host of On Democracy with FP Wellman, right here on the Minus Touch Network. It's the uh, end of the year. It's, it's usually a time of year where I'm going to try and end the year on a positive note. And, and I wanted to do that. Unfortunately for me, I also got sick. You may notice my voice is a little off and uh, I look like hell. Uh, but I wanted to say hi. And, and send you guys off at the end of this wonderful year, uh, my first calendar year on the Minus Touch Network. Uh, incredible growth for our show and all of you for joining us. But here's the good news. The good news is that we are winning. I know you, you hear that a lot from me, right? You hear me tell you all the time that we are winning. And, and look, the last two weeks have been remarkable for the pro-democracy movement and especially for the Biden administration. Something happened halfway through December where people realized Things are getting better. Consumer confidence jumped double digits, which is it hasn't happened in decades, as people went out. And, and my own small focus groups told me the same thing. As I've mentioned previously, my daughter and, and her mom own a store in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Sugar and Spruce. They saw record numbers coming in this year at the end of the year for the holidays. Their, pre, uh, their days right up to Christmas beat their Black Friday as people realized they could, they could spend their money. The Fed announced they're going to actually lower rates in the next year. As we go into the election year, you're going to see the, the interest rates will go down again, as they as we hope. Uh, we see consumer, as I mentioned, consumer confidence. I, you know, I, uh, I love donuts. It's a thing. And my local donut store told me the other day on Christmas Eve, it was their best week in the history of the store. So again, people are kind of starting to vote with their wallets. They're starting to feel confident. They're starting to believe that we're going in the right direction. And the polls will take a while to show that. I get it. But what you can see, you can see it yourself. You saw it when you went shopping. You saw it when you go to the gas pump yourself and see the gas has gone down. It's hard. Look, they can tell you it's $8 all they want at their rallies. But when it's less than $4 in Hawaii, you know that prices are coming down. So I just want to tell you guys, thank you. Have faith. We've got this. I wanted to go and I still want to share a show with you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share an interview with you that I did earlier in the year before I joined the Myers Touch Network, actually, from February of this year with the incredible Katie Fang of MSNBC. 
And Katie and I had a great discussion about how she got to where she is today, her views on things. We shot this interview right before the first Trump indictment came down. But you'll see that Katie was pretty dead on in her predictions about how this would go. And I think you'll find this a fascinating interview. If, for those who haven't seen it before, you probably haven't. It's on the uh, the On Democracy YouTube channel, but has never been broadcast on the Midas Touch Network. Uh, I apologize. I can't give you a whole show this week. Uh, as you can see, I'm fading fast with this illness. I hope to recover quickly and be back with you next week. But in the meantime, I hope you had a wonderful holidays. I hope you have a happy new year and let's keep this fight going and keep it together. And we're going to do great. I have faith. I have faith in us as a nation. With that, let's talk to Katie Fang. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As I previously mentioned, literally 30 seconds ago, I am Fred Wellman, the host of the show. So glad to have you here. This week's guest is one of my favorite followers on social media and on TV. So I was really thrilled to text her and say, hey, you want to come on my show? And she did. I suckered another great person to come on the show. <laughs> Continuing my history of getting cool people to come on my show, not knowing just how crazy it is. And nonetheless, <laughs> if you're Aussie, Aussie, I tell you what, guys, if you're not paying attention to things right now, our guest this week is on a roll lately and you, uh, you need to tune in. Katie Fang started off as a lawyer before beginning her path as a legal analyst locally in Miami and continued to grab national attention. Now she has her own show on MSNBC and Peacock aptly titled The Katie Fang Show. I tell you, branding <laughs> as well as hosting her own podcast, Class Action. Her talent makes her a frequent guest host across MSNBC and now she's joining us. Katie, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time for for me. It is an honor to be asked to be a part of this amazing experience. What a journey you had. So thanks for having me. It's been a ride. I'll tell you, it has been an interesting journey uh, to get here. And, I, you know, I always start the show off that way. It's like, uh, you know, you have had quite a career in you know, 20 years or so of, of between you know, being a lawyer and now you're on TV. I mean, and you've become a real great voice. I love your voice, your voice of telling it like it is in this incredible moment we're facing. What was the journey for you to get from state's attorney's office in Miami to where you are at MSNBC today and where you see our country. Yeah, so I've had an unconventional journey to get <laughs> where I am today, but I do appreciate the 25 years serving as a trial lawyer doing both criminal and civil wow. because I think you need to have street cred to be able to talk about a lot of the issues that America is facing today. Um, the battle for democracy is not one that uh, you know, it, it's not being fought in the ether. It's being fought in the courtroom yeah. uh, across the country. And I think it's great that I had the background to be able to try cases and to become familiar with the judicial system. And I would like to be able to use that experience when I talk about it, when I'm serving as a legal contributor or when I'm, you know, hosting my show. And that's what I try to do. I try to make sure that my journey from, you know, practicing law from everything from small to big law firms to running my own law firm. Now that I'm doing full time, you know, hundred percent TV, I want to make sure that I can parlay that experience into knowledge because knowledge is power. And that's exactly what I want my viewers to have. I want them to have that takeaway when they leave watching the Katie Fang show, they learned something new and something nuanced, not just something that you could just pick up the internet and read. I want to make sure my guests, 
are able to make you feel fulfilled that you've tuned in and you've actually learned something after spending some time with me. And that's, it's funny. That's exactly what I take away. And, and, and we've, we've done a couple of stories together, you know, I, I with between my cancer and those, but your approach is really unique. I enjoy the way your guests, your guests seem to come on knowing that we're going to have a different angle on things. We're going to see the sides and, and we're not going to hold back. I mean, the, what's lovely about your, with the way you straddle Peacock and broadcast is I think you can, you can talk about things that are not being talked about as much, right? I mean, it seems you seek those stories out. Yeah, I do, because I think there is so much for public consumption out there these days. And I think you need to be careful about what you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. And I think we take the time to curate the information and the guests that we put on the Katie Fang show, because you have just an amazing, I think, resource at a network like MSNBC, for example, to be able to get your information. But I think it depends on how it's presented. Um, we may eat out at different restaurants. We may look at menus that have the same dishes, but they're cooked differently, right? And so I think that that's part of it. You want to come and you want to be able to get the information. But I also think in a time when disinformation and misinformation is rampant, you want to be able to trust the source of the information that you're getting partially when it's coming from the literal horse's mouth. It's actually the person who's living through the experience or having, you know, gone through the event and partially from an analyst that I think is credible. Um, not, I think I know an analyst or a person who's either done that journey, lived that campaign, you know, done the, the actual political experiences to be able to come to you and say, with my wisdom, my training, my background, this is what I can tell you is what's going on. And it's such a key time. You know, one of the topics I touch on the show a lot is our institutions and what our institutions are facing in this moment and the challenges they face. And you straddle two direct different parts. The, the pillars you straddle between the media and the judicial system, the legal system are very key parts of this, right? And we've seen some dramatic changes, obviously the Supreme Court issues and everything else, the appointments that courts, but also our, our friends in the media have challenged, been very challenged in how to define these moments. Like you said, disinformation, misinformation, calling them lies. Um, I mean, what are we doing this week? The, oh, national divorce, which we can talk about in a minute. But, but I mean, I, love your perspective. Do, do you think these, especially these two institutions that you have feet planted in both of them, are they meeting the moment in your view, Katie, or, or where do we do, where do we hold them accountable? And, 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 and is there a problem? I think that's where I, I think particularly come, I think into the best service for Americans yeah. is because having lived through the judicial system as a litigator, as a lawyer, and having done it for as long as I did, it's sometimes hard to be able to describe as a journalist, as a, as a part of the media now, what goes on, like how the sausage is made. Right. And, and, and part of that challenge comes from dealing with people's impatience with Merrick Garland, with the <laughs> DOJ, with Fonnie Willis, right? right? Trying to temper expectations. That was the biggest challenge as a lawyer was dealing with clients and their expectations. But I think it's important for people to understand that there is a process and there's a reason why the process is what it is and that you want it to be that process. And I think it's been very hard to reconcile those two, which is why I'm happy to straddle and live in those both, both of those worlds to be able to say, having gone through this experience of presenting an indictment to a grand jury or obtaining an indictment from a grand jury for presenting evidence, you know, having tried these cases, gotten the convictions and had all the concerns about how to get there. I think this is why, you know, having a space and a platform in media and especially at a network like MSNBC allows me to be able to present that to the viewers so that I can temper their expectations and I can explain, no, it's not because Merrick Garland's too scared to do it. It's because there's a lot that's going into the calculus of deciding how to move and at what pace. But it also lends me to have the experience to be able to say, that's why I'm looking at Fonnie Willis as being the first to return an indictment against Donald Trump at all 
soon within the next couple of months before you hit the summer of 2023. But then also confidently, based upon what I know about the federal system in the DOJ, you should get a special counsel Jack Smith indictment for the Mar-a-Lago documents case before the end of 2023. You know, when you're talking, you know, I was listening and I, I feel like sometimes it's it's sort of the law and order effect, right? It's like you and I have gotten used to this one hour show or, you know, where where there are the crimes committed, they're arrested, it's investigated, and then it's tried and it's all done in an hour. We move on. Do you think maybe we're a little bit of a victim of a pop culture thing where we expect faster results or is that is that just crazy talk? I think that's part of it, but I also think partially there is an understandable and justifiable impatience that has overtaken us because you and I were raised as many other people that are tuning in to your podcast that tune into my show. We were raised to believe in a world of consequence that if you do something wrong, you are punished for it. It is an immediate thing when you're a child and you're growing up, you do something wrong, you are immediately punished. I think not many of us growing up when we stole, you know, candy from the dime store down the street i don't think we waited two and a half years to be punished for shoplifting and and i mean and and that may sound like a superficial example but it's one that is important for people to understand i do think that there is something of this moment that has to be appreciated that i would agree that i subscribe to sometimes this impatience which is i don't care if he was the president of the united states i think because he was the president of the united states justice has to be swift but i also think this guy has created this kind of climate of no accountability that if it is that old the wire saying right if you shoot for the king you best not miss and i think that you have to have that in place but as a former prosecutor we thought about those things but it didn't drive the decision to indict we did consider jury nullification and that is my fear in fulton county My fear is you do indict him, but can you convict him? But as somebody said, and it is true, my job as a prosecutor is not to secure a conviction. My job as a prosecutor is to do justice. And I have to rely upon a jury to bring that conviction. If I was judge, jury and executioner, then why would you need a jury? Right. If you put all of that in power instilled in one person and one person only, then you wouldn't need the rest of the judicial system. Right. And I think that is what we have to remind ourselves. There is a process and the process should work. And I just think people are tired. But I also think they should get some, I guess, some faith and some reinstallation of the belief that it, it will. The justice system and the judicial system will prevail. It's just taking a lot longer than people have been raised to expect. Well, that's uh, such a great perspective. It had changed my mind, which I would love about doing this show. Um, I think you're right. I, mean, I think a lot of us who are especially, I'm, I'm, I'm a, clearly an advocate. I'm an activist. That's what I do. I'm a pro-democracy advocate, which is a weird thing to put in your t- bio, but here I am. And so, yeah, my I get I get nervous because I do feel like our democracy is in somewhat of a danger. And Mr. Trump and his allies and others who have clearly a- attacked our capital, you know, as we wait for justice, the, the wheels of politics remain and turn. You know, you've got, you know, Margie Taylor Greene and her national divorce talk when, when she was at the planning meetings for January 6th. So I do think there's a frustration there, um, you know, at the same time we get nervous uh, I, one thing i'm i was i woke up to today is the forewoman from the fulton county grand jury you know uh, is on tv talking about you know the witnesses and how they were funny or you know this weird shit and i see a lot of your professional peers going seem to be freaking out maybe i'm crazy <laughs> you know i mean that, that that her behavior may endanger an indictment and give trump uh, his and his attorney some defense i mean for, what's your perspective on that as a pro i mean you, you've been in that room <laughs> So 
I cringe as well. Yeah. And I think we have to kind of parse it out part of, and we'll deal with the professional, I think ramifications in a second. Okay. I think the presentation, the delivery, the vehicle, the messenger is cringeworthy. Um, It is a very solemn duty to serve on a grand jury, regardless if it's a special grand jury with no indictment powers or not. Mm -hmm. Um, to have her giggling and laughing and looking almost coy when she's having these conversations with media, with national media, is uncomfortable. But she was duly appointed by the fellow grand jury members to serve as the forewoman right. in the, you know, the ripe old age of 30. Um, <laughs> there, there is something, I guess, there that maybe what we're seeing doesn't speak to how seriously she took her responsibilities as a grand jury member. Right. I think we also need to get some consolation from the portions of the unredacted grand jury report that shows that this was a unanimous decision, that there was zero evidence of fraud, zero evidence of um, election misconduct. I think the fact that she, along with the other 22 members of this grand jury said it didn't exist after listening to just 75 witnesses. I think the fact that this grand jury said, people were lying and they were able to discern the credibility of these witnesses. And I also think the fact that they said, yes, indictments are coming. I think that is what I need to kind of have as my takeaway. Yeah. I hate, I hate having to wince when I listen to this woman speak. I don't know why she's speaking now. I think she could have easily done this national media tour after the indictments are returned, yeah. but professionally speaking, and we can move to that point. Will Donald Trump move to dismiss? Of course he will. Would he have done it if she had spoken and she had not spoken? Of course he would. I mean, he's never going to be okay with the results of this special grand jury unless it's a zero true bill return, period. And by the way, the special grand jury can't even return an indictment. It takes another grand jury to do the indictment. I think, though, for purposes of Fonnie Willis, having had this impartial group of people from the community culled from a jury, quote, quote unquote, of Donald Trump and other of people like Lindsey Graham, their peers, I think the fact that they've made a recommendation of indictments should weigh heavily and militate in favor of returning indictments from that subsequent grand jury that comes back. But we're in this like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of pickle. It's like, you know, are we now supposed to say, oh, no, you know, doomsday is upon us because this young woman decided to speak out the way that she did? I don't think it's fair. I just I'm going to I'm just going to lean on what I tweeted out last night, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. right? I just I don't know why they those kind of inadvertent missteps why they bother us so much fred but i think it's because of exactly what we talked about a few minutes ago which is we're just dying for accountability right we just want there to be a consequence for somebody doing something wrong and we feel like people are skating without that you know accountability and that's what's bothering us the most so maybe in fairness objectively we're being we're misdirecting our frustration a little bit maybe on this uh on this young woman no, that's that's a great perspective. I mean, I, I think you're you're right on target. I mean, it it is. Uh, I think a lot of it, like you said, the, the paranoia, the fear. Um, so many people in America have become accustomed to Donald Trump just skating, right? He always finds a way to get out. I mean, I mean, we are all breathlessly waiting for Letitia James to finish her investigation of the Trump organization, and 
people were, you know, companies were, well, you know, and then in the end, it's like, well, here's your fine. <laughs> you know, people, people don't understand the process, you know, know. right? And you're, so you're like, you're, oh, you're that's it? Yeah, that, that's it? Yeah. I'm fine? You know, that, you know, it's just, and he just, he just remodeled his 757, you know, the tra- it's like, yeah. I'll say, fuck, <laughs> you know, you know and, and I think, I think a lot of us just feel that way. It's like, fuck, you know, and, and the people get excited and a lot of it, the, the, I call them the resistance movement, which I'm not a member of, contrary to being accused of it, the, the resistance, <laughs> even the terminology makes me a little crazy, to be honest. I, I, I can't tell you how often I've talked to people. Although, who, as know. a Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I got a lot of the bad guy stuff, so I don't know. Uh, that's right. I got St. Luke. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Hamill, come on the show. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> I got to him. We should do. Matt, Matt would love it. Matt, Matt's back there. He's a nerd like me. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> or as, as Brett Terhune says, I digest. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I think I think the, the frustration. This guy keeps skating and keeps skating and keeps skating, and he's just a master of never facing accountability in his whole life. I mean, Donald Trump's entire life has been mistake after mistake, bankruptcy, criminal charges, escape, escape, escape. And he always finds a way to squeeze away. I mean, he's a master at, uh, I think an octopus would be proud of how he's able to squeeze through tiny holes and still find himself alive on the other side of it. There is a frustration, right? I mean, there's a frustration. Do you think, um, and so I, I'm going to circle back because you opened that can of worms. You said, Fonny, you're looking at that this summer, you're thinking Jack Smith. So Jack, Jack Smith's on track. I mean, we're seeing, it seems like for me, who is accustomed to it, the silence is freaking terrific, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, very little is leaking out. I mean, Jack Smith seems to be doing his job and taking it very seriously. Uh, and all the things we were proud about him being a no bullshit guy who's not going to be seeking the spotlight or anything else seems to be coming true. I mean, what's your take on that as a professional and, and as plus with your, with your national, you know, sitting where you're sitting? I think we know about what's happening in the Jack Smith room because of the media and reporters camping out and watching people going in and out and reporting to grand juries. Do I think leaks are happening through counsel, for example, conveniently? Yes. But every once in a while, as you know, a few days will go by and the next thing you know is we're going to report that so-and-so got subpoenaed or so-and-so showed up to the grand jury. You know, the most recent round of subpoenas to Mark Meadows and Mike Pence clearly made headlines because we're all kind of scratching our heads and wondering how and how does Mike Pence saying, I'm not going to comply with a Jack Smith subpoena impact Jack Smith's investigation? But I think if there was anything that Jack Smith understood going into his role as special counsel as appointed by Merrick Garland is that time is of the essence. Right. I'm fully confident Jack Smith's not going to sit there and cut a corner right. because of time being of the essence. But I also think he's not going to risk the entirety of a prosecution on the one word of Michael Pence. Right. Right. And I think that people need to be reminded that when you prosecute a case, you have direct and circumstantial evidence and you can convict and you can prosecute on circumstantial evidence because sometimes you're lacking the direct evidence. I think when it comes to something like one six and Donald Trump's role in one six, I need to make sure that people also have a delineation clearly I think you're going to have a problem with Donald Trump being prosecuted for the violence of the insurrection at the Capitol, but the fake elector scheme is different. The fake elector scheme is tied to the one six and that is also being investigated by Jack Smith. And so I, I comfortably say Mar-a-Lago because I do think that there is a very distinct case being made for Donald Trump that separate apart from Joe Biden and Michael Pence and their retention of classified documents. I think that that is a layup for Jack Smith. And I think people need to be reminded, though, it's not just Mar-a-Lago, it's 1-6 and it's fake elector. 
Right. Remember, there was a slew of subpoenas that went out in November of last year dealing with fake elector schemes in Arizona, Pennsylvania, et cetera. And then all of the information that's been called by Fonnie Willis, you and I both know, Fred, there's an information share that's going on with Jack Smith in D.C., of which we're not privy. And so I think that it is so hard because I always get very frustrated because I am an impatient person. That is one of my biggest vices. I feel like we should not be walking. We should be running by this point. And I think that these things will happen this year in terms of the indictments being returned. However, I also believe that we have to realize, I think part of what happened to us too, is I think we got a little bit tainted by the Robert Mueller experience. I think we canonized him. I mean, we joke about your St. Luke candle. I have a Robert Mueller, you know, (laughs) worship candle. I still have it. You still have it. That's the the part. You still have it. That's where I, I'll fault you. I sense it. It's not scented. It's a good light. That's fine. I I think we canonized and lionized Robert Mueller because we think at that point we put so much faith in the idea that one man was going to save us. But I think if we're being brutally honest, you said something a few minutes ago that always resonates with me. Donald Trump has gone through a life of no accountability. Yes. There's a reason why he's been called the Teflon Don. It's not Robert Mueller's fault that Donald Trump got to the point where he was elected president of the United States. There was also failed impeachment attempts against him as well, but he got to that role. He could have otherwise just been a joke uh, what is it? Reality TV guy yep. who never served as a president of the United States, grifting day in and day out, but not directly impacting American democracy. Yeah. So who do we really have to blame? Yep. Let's blame Donald Trump. Yeah. But that's a layup. Yep. We have to blame the people that put him into office. Right. And that is why it may sound like such an easy thing to say, but I think it fits with the title of your podcast. You know, democracy is something that has been bastardized. It has been bastardized to fit an agenda, depending upon which party you are a member of. And I think that we need to blame voters. We need to blame voters. We need to say you never had any business selecting that man. But then we also need to make sure that we still go out and we vote so you don't get a Kevin McCarthy as a Speaker of the House who turns over 40,000 documents and access to one six, you know, security footage to Tucker Carlson at Fox News. You can blame Kevin McCarthy, but if he was never in that position, the Lauren Boberts, the crazy MTG calling for civil war, if they're not in a position to be able to do that, then what are they? There's some dingbat ladies, you know, from Colorado and Georgia, right? Right. That are doing their crazy shit down the street at like the local whatever, the 7-Eleven. You know, I I just think we need to be a little bit more introspective sometimes about how we got where we are. Right, right. And it's actually one of the reasons I took last week off is, you know, the mission I've been working on is is along those lines. I mean, I I was shocked to discover that 23 Republicans ran unopposed last cycle in the congressional cycle, while there was only six Democrats did. And what's interesting is you look back at the data, that's actually flipped. Democrats had like 30 um, four cycles ago, but now it went lower and lower and lower. Only six Dems are unopposed, and the Republicans went higher and higher and higher. And 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 those include Paul Gosar and Debbie Lesko and and others. And then when you look at the underopposed ones, the ones who had opponents who never really made a ton of money and didn't put up a fight, you got Ronnie Jackson, you got crazy Harriet <laughs> Hagan. Yeah, I mean these people. The seventy five percent of the Freedom Caucus ran essentially unopposed. 
because their candidate, their their opponents couldn't raise enough money to really put up a fight. So so you're right. We're in a situation where we're not doing an effective job of turning out those voters. Right, the the numbers are there, you know, and uh, and it's it's sort of my my life's work right now is just understanding how do we how do we fight everywhere and support everywhere so we can take on folks like that. But you're right. It's in the end, it is the voters. And of course, you know my recent experience. I was a senior advisor for Marcus Flowers in Georgia against MTG. Know. You know, a person who has no business running for office, but pulled incredible numbers up by the Tennessee border. If you look at the, if you look at our district, we did pull it, you know, Marcus got 35% of the vote, which is the highest that the Democrats gotten in Georgia 14. But in the end, a lot of people just love it. I, I knocked doors. I tell the story, Katie, I was knocking doors and it came upon a townhouse uh, a complex in, uh, in, in the middle of the district. And, and there's an older lady there, I'll say a white lady. And uh, I walked up and she was talking to her neighbor, an older black man. I said, oh, I'm here, you know, I want to talk to you about Marcus Fire. She goes, who are you for? I said, Marcus Fire. She goes, oh, no, MTG's my girl. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, no. Yeah, no, I just, she just drives them crazy. I'm like, ma'am. Okay, that's not governance. Okay, <laughs> okay, you know, at what point did we decide that non-governance and non-support? I mean, she just she literally as soon as the election over, she closed her one. She's down to one congressional office in the far part of her district. It's not listed on the website. It's just you know, and and people just vote for this. They vote for not being represented. You know, the funny thing I get, and I'm I'm soliloquizing here. I apologize. <laughs> is uh, uh, there was a comment on the I mean, maybe Matt saw it on the podcast on Apple. Somebody said. Because the show is named On Democracy, right? The guys, what an idiot! It's a constitutional republic, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, a constitutional republic's a form of democracy. Fuck, <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it, but a constitutional republic. If we're a constitutional republic, that means we have it's representative democracy. We have to vote. We have to elect. We have to send our representatives. So the people who tell me, oh, it's a constitutional republic, also the ones who are like happy just having this, you know, 60, 30 districts. That, you know, I am just ranting. I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like it's, it's but, you're right. But your, but your point is so well taken. I live in Florida. Ah. It is a purple state. I live in a red state. I have a DeSantis, Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, Anna Polina Luna problem, right? Oh, yeah, you do. Okay? Yeah. And the problem that we have is I have a Ron DeSantis stacking a school board, right? I have a Ron DeSantis, quote, anti-woke agenda. I have Ron DeSantis taking his institutionalized racism and anti-wokeness and making it into our collegiate systems now. I mean, it starts as low as our elementary school, primary school children now in public schools that can't read certain banned books. It is stunning to me because I live in this, I live in a city that you would think with, in Miami Beach is where I live, right. you would think that it would not be so red, but it is. Miami-Dade County, the numbers that oh, turned yeah. out for Ron DeSantis in the last election that voted for him and not for Charlie Crist was stunning. Yeah. You have to ask yourself, is it a candidate quality issue? Is it a lack of messaging issue? I will tell you several high high dollar donors did not come to Florida yep. on behalf of the Democratic Party this last run, yep. this last, you know, cycle, because they, quote unquote, said, I can't put money into a failing race. So something's got to give because it's not just at the highest levels in D.C. in Congress at the United States Capitol. It is trickled all the way down to your local school board races. And people keep on forgetting, I think, that and how can you forget? I mean, the most immediate impact upon you is what happens in your backyard. Right. And so I think there there is an exhaustion. And I think that is why we are so almost 
humbly, eagerly, hungrily looking for a crumb of accountability because we want to have some type of sustenance because I kind of feel like it's been famine. It's been famine for a while. We, We joyfully got a Biden presidency in 2020. I naively thought things were going to get better once Biden won. How stupid am I? (laughs) So I've now taken that naivete and converted it to use my platform to get facts and evidence. I told somebody my currency is, is facts are facts and evidence. That is what I trade in. That is my currency. And that's why I'm grateful for the platform I have to be able to share that information with people to dispel and to eliminate disinformation and misinformation, because that's what being, that's, what's being trafficked. Um, We laugh all the time, right? When we watch those clips of Jordan Klepper going over and interviewing people at Trump rallies, and yet these people live down the street from you and that's what they think. Yep. They think that Antifa did January 6th, despite all the people pleading guilty and the proud boys and all these people and the oath keepers all saying, no, 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 we were being driven to one six to do what we did because of Donald Trump. I'm not forcing them to say that. Are you Fred? No, these are not some Manchurian candidate criminal defendants, no. but it's still happening. Right. And I scratch my head. Cause I'm like, are they, are these people really that dumb? And I don't want to be rude. No, it's a, it's a different. Yeah. Stupid. Like it's Lord a, Boebert is stupid. Marjorie Taylor Greene is stupid, like intellectually stunted. I'm not yep. talking. I disagree with your policies. I seriously think they're stupid people right. and they're serving in the highest halls, you know, they're, they're in revered halls of Congress and they're serving some of the highest positions of power in our United States. And I asked myself, why, how did they get there? That's the question. And the, is the, is it a dumbing down of America? Is it the sacrifice of large swaths of our country to the other side? Is it the demonization? I mean, the you know, it used to be uh, my and you'd hear people talk about their opponent or their you know co- colleagues across the aisle. Now it's those pedos, right? You know, you're you're a, pet, you're a pedophile or you're a, a baby mutilator. That's the one I get a lot now. Oh, you're baby. It's just it's it, this is really evil and pernicious stuff. Where I'm so glad you brought that up, other, you know? Fred. Hold a second. I. Re- read something today i wanted to, i saved it for us to talk about because i almost passed out so speaking of that this is what i read russian president vladimir putin today speaking republican talking points yep. in order to get aid cut off to ukraine saying, quote, the West is perverting their own people, destroying the family, mocking children. Even pedophilia is declared the norm. They are even considering God to be gender neutral. We must protect our children from degradation. There you go. If you closed your eyes and I didn't tell you that was the Russian president, Vladimir Putin speaking, you could literally fill in the blank with any ranking member of the Freedom Caucus. Actually, they're even worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's kind of tempered, to be honest. The, the, the that's, thing, like, that's like Freedom yeah. Caucus light. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, you, yeah. you close your eyes and you could just do a constant parade yeah. of Republicans. Those are Republican talking points. Right. And, and it's like, and, and you want to talk about, you know, being America first. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, being pro-America I mean, that's a Russian talking point that you're basically, you know, perpetuating when you're a member of the GOP. So, you know, there is this idea that 
when it comes to justice, when it comes to the law, when it comes to politics, when it comes to these institutions of ours, that it's not a level playing field and that we're not doing enough in terms of taking the gloves off and rolling up our sleeves to be able to fight for democracy. But I think that we are, and I think we still need to do more. And I think what we do need though, is like I said, we need a little bit of a crumb of justice. And I think that needs to come from an indictment. I think somebody needs to say, see, there you go. There's accountability for when you do something wrong. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll drive us to say, okay, to have faith because people are losing faith. You know, I, I'm seeing people I believe in who I've supported who have been in this fight in various forms for years. And you see them talking and speaking and, and tweeting about, you know, what's left at this point, you know, they're, they're losing their faith that this democracy can can even function. You know, we have an entire generation that had a wonderful guy, Santiago Mayer, uh, on here on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about Gen Z. And, and you think about what Gen Z has seen, nothing but economic de- deprivation, nothing but but constant war since 9-11. I mean, we've got an entire generation that's really, what is it to believe in our system? And they can't even get justice, right? They, get, they can't see justice be served. They see they see their peers, they see black men being murdered, they see so they see women being you know abused, and their rights taken away. And Gen Z feels this, so it, it makes me nervous. Now, it gives me some hope that Gen Z feels this and they're gonna fight. But what are we handing them? I'm a Gen Xer. My generation's completely fucked. I mean, listen, I'm not even going to pretend anymore. Uh, my West Point class, I had to piece out of all the things associated with my West Point class because there's such deep bigotry. And, and, and it's shocking to me. It's shocking to me that people who swore an oath that our country can be so bigotry. That one, A guy who had made general wrote on LinkedIn about how diversity and equity is just racism and wokeism. Like, the fuck is wrong with you, dude? You're a two-star general. So we're really in a very scary, dangerous place for guys who are as old as I am have seen it. And, and, and fuck, and I, I don't mention it often, but I did, I did fight for my country. And this isn't what I fucking fought for, <laughs> you know. I don't even know what generation I am. I'll be forty-eight this year, so I don't okay, know what yeah. am I. Gen, yeah. gen, I don't know. Are you an elder Whatever. millennial? No, you're Gen X. You're Gen X like I'm me. You're a young. Gen, I'm an old Gen X. I, I'm old Gen X. You're a young Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But to answer your question, what is there for any generation, millennial, Gen X, Gen Z, whatever, to be able to look at people like you? Um, <laughs> And I'm not saying this to blow smoke up your ass. I'm being serious. You served your country. If you look at what that two-star general said, that's not you. And that's not a lot of people that served in our armed forces. They don't believe that. Everybody bleeds the same color, right? I mean, that that is what you did. Your sacrifice counts for something. You're taking your activism to make the world better for people like me with a kid, right? You're making my kid's world better. I'm a former Republican. There's a whole bunch of us that are either never Trumpers or former Republicans that have said, I'm not doing this anymore, or I'm not going to have this be the future for America. And I'm taking my voice, my experience, my training, all of that to convert it to help make sure this doesn't happen again, that we don't have a repeat performance, which they did. They successfully kept Donald Trump from taking the Oval again in 2020. That's what people should have hoped for, a, a generation of children that are are literally doing active shooter drills that are dying by the dozens and yet still showing up. That's where the faith comes from, right? 
I believe wholeheartedly that my eight-year-old's world's going to be better because of people like you, because people that are saying, I'll take the criticism for having contributed a little bit to where we have found our institutions, but I've said enough is enough and I'm going to change them for the better. I think that's where people have to find hope. There are always going to be people that are going to be super far right and super far left, right? It's the people that said, I'm going to take a stand when I could sit this one out that are not sitting it out anymore. And that's exactly where the faith comes from. That's where we continue to believe because for those of us that could have easily just said, yeah, you know what? I just won't vote in the cycle or, Hey, you know what? I'll stay a Republican, you know, but I'll vote for the, the, the less threatening ones like the Paul Ryan's, whatever, you know, right. the fact that we look back and we look at <laughs> Paul Ryan as being less threatening, or we look at, you know, like Ted Cruz as a prospective candidate, God knows when, when they were doing the whole race, Jeb Bush, geez, you know, like when you look Rubio. at those people, don't forget Rubio, <laughs> Marco, um, water drinking Marco, like, you, you know, we have to remind ourselves we've gone really far, uh, you know, off track and there's a whole bunch of us that are collectively pushing us back to where we need to be and i think that's where you get your faith i think that's what it is you could have just said fred you could have just said i've served my country i'm done thank you yeah but you don't right and so that's that's that i think that's where we find ourselves that's where we find that's where we find the strength to say we're going to pick ourselves up and we're just going to keep going well, thank you. And I, I think that's a great place to finish. <laughs> and I appreciate you. <laughs> it's very kind. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's it. I was literally just talking to my partner today about this. I was like, you know, I just want to fight. You know, it's, I'm, we're, I'm building something new. I'm really excited to tell you about in the coming weeks. But, you know, we, we, we just can't stop fighting. And you're right. We have to dust off and take our licks. I had some challenges with my old organization, as you know, you know, and, you know, and you, you just it does make you tougher, though. The, the scars make you tougher. And uh, and people like you make us tougher and help, help us keep, get the truth out there. And I, I just can't thank you enough for what you're doing. I can't thank you enough for using your platform to tell the truth and, and your background as a as a as a, a prosecutor and lawyer to to keep these things straight for us so with that katie i thank you <laughs> thanks for joining man i'm so glad i got you i appreciate you and uh look forward to seeing y'all reach out i'll text you soon and say hi thank you for allowing me the privilege of the time i and of your listeners time i really appreciate that thanks sister i appreciate you you know someone told me there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in just a matter of months i wouldn't have believed it well then i tried qualia senolytics you know as we age everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body senescent cells cause symptoms of aging such as aches and pains slow workout recoveries sluggish mental and physical energy that i know so well all associated with that middle-aged feeling now also known as zombie cells they're old and worn out and serving a no useful function for your health anymore but they're taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells you know much like pruning the yellow and dead leaves and plants in my garden qualia senolytic removes those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in your body you take it just two days a month the formula is non-gmo vegan as well as gluten-free and the ingredients are meant to complement one another factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together but best of all on top of all that you have a hundred day money back guarantee and since taking qualia senolytics i have had higher energy levels i feel 15 years younger more productive enthusiastic in life not to mention importantly for me less aches and pains now resist aging at the cellular level try qualia senolytic 
Go to neurohacker.com slash Fred for up to $100 off and then use code Fred at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash Fred for an extra 15% off of your purchase. And man, thanks Neurohacker for sponsoring our show. Man, what a great conversation! Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think Matt, this I, Matt, I'm convinced not to write scripts anymore. I'm just going to have a couple of, <laughs> you know, just you know, great conversations. Uh, you know, I had this podcast for this reason: is to have the conversation with people like Katie Fang and, and last week Bill Crystal and others, just to, you know, these in- interesting people, so we can talk and have a, a no holds barred, honest conversation. So. Uh, Man, I just, I kind of count my blessings to have the opportunity to to use this platform and have these conversations with them, and then and for you all as listeners, and I appreciate you again as always. I'd love you to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms. I'd love you to subscribe on YouTube. We did break the big thousand subscriber mark. We still need a lot of people to sit and watch the show for a while, but we're making real. We're starting to build an audience, and the, and the notes I get and the DMs I get on Twitter and, and the people reach out want to be in the show. It's it's humbling. It's exciting it tells me we're doing something right we've got some exciting stuff coming up got great guests coming up the next few weeks experts in democracy former candidates for you know for governor and all and i I, i'm so excited to keep sharing it with you as we keep moving forward for our democracy. As always, this show is sponsored by our friends at Vi Media. Vi Media is a great marketing partner. They're your digital marketing agency based right here in Greater St. Louis with a nationwide footprint and growing. They just won a bunch of more awards. It's fun to watch them grow. They have been supportive of the show. I use their studios as one of our places where we hang out. That's vi.media. It's vie.media. Check them out and you get the chance. And uh, again, as I always say, um, keep on doing what you're doing, keep in the fight. Uh, you can find me uh, anywhere. I'm on Twitter at FP Wellman, at FP Wellman. I'm on all the new, all the cool channels now, Spoutable and Posts. I'm all FP Wellman there. And of course, my Instagram is FP Wellman Official. Uh, the other ones, all oh, my grandkid pictures, you can't see those. But <laughs> with that, thank you for joining this week. Another great show. We've got some more coming up. I've got some exciting news. If you're, I hope you're paying attention. The next week, we'll be announcing our newest uh, project that I've been working on that I've been kind of keeping a secret from you, but it'll be public shortly. And I'm very excited. It kind of goes to what we've been talking a lot about in the show about fighting everywhere and, and taking on our democracy and, and making it our mission. So I can't wait to tell you more about that. With that, have an incredible day. And thanks for joining us.